Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Born and raised in Los Angeles. It is a West Coast-based program. Let me give you a West Coast-based take right off the top. Starting with some baseball. Do you remember when the entire baseball season was going to revolve around Dodgers Padres? You remember that. Big brother v. little brother. brother. The team of today against the team of tomorrow. When Dodgers Padres, every single series between these two was going to be hell week all over again. Remember that whole thing. Remember that narrative. Do you remember all that commentary? Neither do I. Because last night, the Dodgers went into San Diego and they big brothered the hell out of the Padres. Big brothered the hell out of the Padres. And it started when Will Smith did this in the top of the second. Another payoff pitch comes. Smith turns it around to deep center field. Way back in. Gone. Solo shot for Will Smith. And the Dodgers strike first. So you see something like that, and you know, the way the Dodgers have been playing and how the Padres have been struggling of late, you know it's going to be a long night for the Friars, right? I mean, San Diego did come in having lost 9 of 11. They had just fired their pitching coach. None of that is what you want to be doing in late August if you're trying to compete for a ring. And let's be honest, at the moment, the Padres are not competing for a ring. At the moment, that ship is taking on a ton of water sinking quickly, and they're trying to get right as quickly as they possibly can. So this is an enormous series for San Diego, not just in terms of staying in the wild card race, but in terms of turning around this disastrous stretch, proving to themselves that they can compete with the best. They needed a jolt in the worst way last night. They needed somebody to step in and hit them with the paddles last night. And it looked like that somebody was going to be Manny Machado. He came to the plate with a man on in the bottom of the fourth, and it looked like he had it. Roll it. High fly ball. Deep left field. Pollock to the wall. It is caught. A.J. took it away. Pollock robs Machado, and the Dodgers stay in front. Sure as hell did. Allen. Lorenz. A.J. Pollock, if you need him. Holy crap. What an absolute stone-faced killer. This guy tracked that ball all the way to the wall, elevated, and then snatched it away from three Padre fans in the front row. There's a reason why that dude has a gold glove. He didn't just rip that home run back from those fans in the front row. He punched the entire stadium in the face. That building was ready to explode, and he stole it from them. Now, most outfielders make a play like that. They're celebrating. They're pumping their fists. They're running it back in. It's a huge moment. Hell, you do something like that. You do something like that, I'm fine with anything you do. You can rip your jersey off, sprint around the outfield. Hell, I would have been fine if you went all Wade Boggs with it and jumped on a police horse and rode it around the field. Who cares if it's the fourth inning of a regular season game? That was a big regular season game. That was a really big moment. Except that's just not Pollock's deal. He does that and he barely reacts other than a quiet bleep yeah to himself. I mean, that is some serial killer stuff right there. And you got to love it. This guy's heart rate probably never did get above 60 BPM in that moment. 
Meanwhile, while the Padres were trying to figure out how the hell he just did them like that, Dodgers starter Julio Orias was catching his breath on the mound. As he said in Spanish, and I quote, I thought it was a home run. A tremendous catch. Very difficult with all the fans sticking their hands in there trying to grab it. Thank goodness he caught it. A great catch. It motivates you because you know your teammates are beside you trying to make all the plays. That's all true, too. I'll tell you somebody else who thought it was a home run. Machado. He stood there and admired his work, and I can't say that I blame him because it did look and feel like a home run. That didn't just motivate the starting pitcher, though. It kept his no-hitter going, one that he would carry into the fifth in his first start back from injury. And for Pollock, he just kept on being an absolute killer because he did come up at the top of the seventh with the bases loaded and then did this. Pollock shoots a base hit into right field. One run is in. Here comes another. Throw goes to third, not in time. And a two-run single for A.J. Pollock. A.J. Pollock again. I mean, that is the definition of a professional hitter. This guy just cruised right down the five and beat the ever-loving crap out of the Padres in every way imaginable. And when he was asked about that catch after the game, like all the greats, he said he was not thinking about how well he handled that one, but rather was still thinking about how terribly he had handled his previous chance at bringing one back a few days earlier against the Mets. Honestly, I was thinking about my last time I tried to rob a homer and embarrass myself. So I kind of kind of saw it was, it was carrying a little bit. knew I was near the wall. I just didn't want to jump late like I did last time and run into the wall. And um, the timing was right. and was able to make that grab. It's kind of like trying to high point a ball in football or basketball and it worked out for sure. It made it interesting. And last time I thought I was at another step and I didn't. And I just speared the wall on my way up and it looked stupid. So, yeah, just kind of made that little adjustment. That's it. Hell of an adjustment too, AJ. Now it's the Padres who need to make a little adjustment. In fact, a big adjustment. Now they've lost 10 of 12. And frankly, they're doing it at the worst possible time. Not only are they not competitive with the Dodgers, they're not even in the same area code. They're 11 and a half back of L.A. They're 14 back of Frisco. They're closer to fourth than they are to second or first. They're a game out of the last wild card spot in the National League. And going into the bottom of the eighth last night, they were down 5 nothing and on the verge of getting shut out and humiliated in their own park. And no, zero credit for getting a couple of runs across and making it seem closer in the end. Because this team is not built to get credit for being competitive with the champs. They were built to be the champs. They were built to take down the champs. Instead, Big Brother is coming into their house and giving them atomic wedgies left and right. This is not how this was supposed to go. Not at all. This is not the Slam Diego that everybody expected to see. Not when the team was so aggressive in the offseason. Not when they were adding big-time arms like Blake Snell and you Darvish. They were building a team to win that division. They were building a team to win a World Series. Little Brother was looking to get over on Big Brother. No, hell, Little Brother was looking to break Big Brother's face. They weren't here to take part. They were here to take over. They were looking to shift the balance. The balance of power south, but instead it's moving north. 
And yes, I know they've had to deal with some injuries, but you know what? So is L.A. L.A. is closing in on 40 different pitchers this season. They're practically ripping guys out of the stands, giving them a glove, and they're still somehow making it work. At this point, the Padres have to just fight their asses off just to get a sniff of the postseason. They've got to fight their asses off just to salvage their dignity in this series already. Because Hell Week is about to turn into the week from hell. And the week from hell is turning into the season from hell. This was not the way that this was supposed to go for Slam Diego. Slam Diego! So I got one more thing to say. I have one last thing to say as it relates to San Diego, the Padres, and Padre fan. One thing to say. Get a pen out. Write this down. Write this down, put it on a piece of wood, throw it up on the wall, shellac it, and never take it down. Are you with me? Write this down, Padre fan. Show me your lightning bolt! Slam, Diego! More like sham, Diego! El Nino or El No Show? Hey, does this mic work? Anybody out there got a pulse? Anybody? Hey, I'm talking to you, Padre Brass. This is not acceptable. And by not acceptable, I mean unacceptable. Freaking do something. You know who the hell I am? That's it. The spork. Half fork, half spoon. And it's plastic. Does it, uh, shut up, Alvin. Does anybody in that dugout have a pulse? The hell is Trevor Hoffman when you need him? Somebody I message, Greg Vaughn. Anybody with a hard line in Poway? Use it. Use it and dial up Kevin Brown. Oh, and one more thing. Everybody into the pattern. Everybody into the pattern and fix this bleep now. Sing it with me. If you're wondering what I just did there, it's too hard to explain. Just know that it's funny. It's funny and timely. React to me. So the unknown came in 2020 and it changed the workplace forever, right? Some of us are getting back to the office, but some of us find ourselves in a new normal at home. The future of work has changed and so is the future of seating. X-Chair is at the forefront of home and office seating during this transition. And now, X-Chair's newest innovation, the LMAX temperature regulation will take your seating comfort to a whole new level. Patent-pending LMAX allows you to experience cooling, heat, and massage in your lower back. Crazy, right? Are you feeling stressed from too many Zoom calls? Then turn on the LMAX Massage Therapy and relax. X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar support was already best in class with incredibly responsive low back support. Now with LMAX, your comfort is guaranteed. You will not believe the difference until you feel it for yourself. Imagine regulating your body temperature and getting massage therapy while you are working. Do this. Go to xchairrome.com right now. That's the letter X, chairrome.com. Or call one 844 
for X-Chair and save $100 off your order. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. Go to xchairrome.com right now. Use the code XWHEELS for free X-Wheel blade casters. xchairrome.com. Andy McCullough is my guest. Andy, it's great to have you on. How are you? Hey, Jim. How's it going? Good, good. Listen, there are a number of topics I want to get into with you, including the Dodgers-Padres, the Phillies, the overall race for the postseason. But I want to start with a piece that you have up on The Athletic right now about the Astros. Andy, this is the first season with fans in the stands since the Astros cheating scandal broke. So how would you describe how the fans have responded to the Astros this season? Uh, Enthusiastically with disdain. I guess would be the way to do it. Um, you know, they're obviously not a popular group when they go on the road. I think most fan bases, you know, kind of target, uh, you know, the, the guys who were actually members of the 2017 roster, you know, the Jose Altuve's and the Carlos Correa's of the world. But I did think it was kind of funny talking to, you know, um, some of the newer members of the team, guys who like were playing for like the Rays or you know even the Dodgers in uh, 2017, about like just kind of what it's like getting me casually branded as a as a cheater for something that you didn't exactly do. Um, so yeah, I mean I think it's you know the, the the atmosphere like in New York and LA has been pretty uh, you know intense. I think during those games there and you know the the, the other guys kind of hear it on a on a lesser basis you know on other cities, but it's pretty consistent. Like I spent a week in Kansas City with the team and like Altuve and Correa got booed every single time their name was called. They got called cheaters. They got called all that stuff. So it's been pretty consistent. I think it's really interesting what you just said, especially that part about there are a number of guys on this roster. In fact, most of the roster that were not on that team. In fact, there are only five players from the 2017 team on the active roster right now. Of those five guys, who gets the most abuse and why? It's Altuve. Um, and I think the simplest way to put it is that, you know, he was the face of the franchise before the scandal. And so he became the face of the scandal in a way, you know, he's the, the best player on the team, the one who is on the hall of fame sort of track. So he is the one who, you know, gets it the most. I mean, he was the MVP in 2017. Um, you know, he was the star of that postseason. You know, he's, he's been, so good for so long, but, you know, when something like this happens, you know, he becomes the, the face of it. And, you know, his teammates have said that he was one of the guys who actually didn't like the usage of the trash can, you know, who objected to it, who didn't want it, them to use it during his at-bats. And, you know, that's like, that's perfectly fine, but I think uh, he still benefited from the collective usage of the scheme. And, um, you know, as I, as I wrote in the piece, like, you know, if it's unfair to him, well, you know, it's also unfair to, you know, use a camera to illegally transmit signs mid-game. So uh, it just kind of goes with the territory when something like this happens, I guess. Andy McCullough joining us. All right, so what about Correa? He said, quote, at the end of the day, it's an entertainment business, and we want to entertain people. When we go on the road, it's entertaining to make the fans go quiet. End of quote. Like, you know, athletes will tell you that they like to be the villain, but deep down, most of them don't actually like it at all. Do you get the sense that the Astros players are comfortable with this they've somehow embraced this role or would they just presume this whole thing go away yeah i think it's definitely more the latter um i think correa is you know a bit unique among those guys and that he you know feeds off it you know i think he he is driven by it in some ways you know at least he, he says he is and you know his actions and you know comments suggest that he is as well whereas someone like Altuve I think just kind of absorbs it you know he, he does not appear to enjoy being called a cheater I don't think anyone 
um, you know, enjoys that. But I think Correa, you know, can use it as something of motivation, you know, a chip on his shoulder or whatever. Um, you know, so it creates like an interesting poll. You know, you've got Correa on one end, you've got Altuve on the other. And in the middle is someone like, you know, Lance McCullers, who was a pitcher on that team, who sort of talked about, you know, like they're not really going to, you know, change how people feel about them. But, you know, it's, it's also, you know, the fans aren't going to change how, their own, you know, uh, the, the internal sort of bond that the players have, I guess. And that's kind of like a middle ground that I think, like, isn't really, you know, sexy if you're trying to, you know, sell things in an entertainment business. But, uh, you know, I think that's closer to the truth as well. All right, so, Andy, to that point, for instance, do you get, and just generally speaking, do you get the sense that they think that they cheated, that they know that it was wrong, wrong, and that the rings are tainted as a result? Or would they say to you, you know what, we really weren't doing anything that much more dramatic than what everybody else was doing. We just happened to get caught. We earned those rings. Yeah, I mean, they do believe they earned the rings, and I asked guys specifically, you know, like, what does it mean to you? And they talked about, you know, the bond they had as a team and, and you know, the, the dedication and all those sorts of things. I mean, I think, um, you know, it's, it's really difficult to know what, you know, the 29 other clubs were up to that year. There's been a lot of reporting, you know, uh, trying to kind of suss that out. Um, you know, there's been some, you know, investigations over the years by Major League Baseball. But, like, at the end of the day, like, even if other teams were doing some version of sign stealing, like what the Astros were doing was illegal. Uh, and that's why, you know, the Major League Baseball levied the suspension. So, uh, you know, it's kind of unclear. I mean, I think there is sort of a belief that other teams were up to no good as well. And, you know, maybe in 10 years or something when everyone takes sodium penthol and actually admits, you know, what was happening in their video room, uh, you'll have a better sense of it. But, like, what the Astros were doing, a lot of other teams say what a lot of other players say was um you know well over the line i guess all right so if they were if other teams were doing it to a certain extent and you know they were whatever it is they were doing they were doing something to a certain extent what's your sense as to what people around the league feel about the astros and that championship do they think that it's tainted people outside that clubhouse yeah yeah i mean i, I mean the, yeah like guys on the dodgers talked about it a lot you know that ad nauseum last spring i mean i think yes that they, they do believe that it is. And, um, you know, and like there are, uh, this is a, obviously a different circumstance, but there will be, you know, fans who say that the Dodgers winning the world series in 2020, you know, is not tainted, but you know, it doesn't count the same as, you know, because of the, the circumstances of the season. I think there's always going to be people who can have, you know, subjective opinions. I, I don't think there's a way to like objectively say, uh, you know, tainted or not because they, they ended up winning, you know, they scored more runs, and, you know, they have the rings and all that stuff. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. But, yeah, I mean, the perception among other players is that is, a, you know, a, a, for lack of a better term, a stolen championship. Andy McCullough joining me for a few more moments. All right, that's a really well-written piece, and I would encourage our listeners to go find that. What about the Dodgers and the Padres? L.A. wins last night in San Diego. Andy, the Padres have now lost 10 of 12. They're a game out of the second wild-card spot in the NL. They're way back of the Dodgers. They're even further back of San Francisco. How much much trouble are the Padres in right now? Yeah, the dads are in some trouble. I mean, you know, they, they play in a very tough division, obviously, so that hurts them, you know, in terms of strength of schedule. The Reds, uh, you know, have an easier schedule and an easier path over the next, you know, month or so. And I think it's, it's disappointing because San Diego has so much talent on their roster, you know, that the rivalry with the, with the Dodgers looks so exciting in the early 
months of the season. But, you know, it's like it's a long year, and a lot of things can go wrong. Their pitching has just not been very good. I mean, the starting pitching has been a real issue. They dealt with a lot of injuries to it, and, you know, they, they decided to, you know, fire Larry Rothschild this week. The pitching coach is part of it. Um, you know, so it's, it's a bummer because it looks like, you know, Dodgers-Padres is going to be kind of the story of the summer. But the good news is, you know, is Dodgers-Giants is pretty good as a, you know, as a, uh, as a, as a uh, whatever would be a, a consolation prize. I mean, that's a historic uh, rivalry. And so, you know, there's a chance that those two teams will meet in October for the first time, which would just be awesome. That'd be, it'd be amazing. And if that's the case, who's the team to beat? For instance, L.A. does not have the best record in the NL, yeah. but... Are they the favorites in the NL in your mind, or is it the Giants or even the Brewers? Yeah, I mean, in a way, right, like you should pick the Brewers because the Brewers in the first round will almost certainly not have to play the Giants or the Dodgers. So they they will have the better chance of being in the CS. But, like, who's the best team? I do think it is the Dodgers in terms of talent, but, man, like the Giants win every night. Um, And they do things really well. They have a ton of power. You know, their lineup is a combination of guys you've never heard of and guys you haven't thought about since 2014. Um, you know, it's really impressive what, you know, Farhan Zaidi has done on the margins of the roster. Um, the Dodgers have so much star power, you know, just stacked up and down the roster. And the Brewers, in terms of, like, run prevention, the Brewers are very tough to score against. You know, that the three-headed monster atop the rotation of, you know, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta is really, really dynamic. You know, their the defense is good, so... Um, I think, you know, like, if you ask me who's the best team, I think it's the Dodgers, but, like, in a sort of uh, nerdy way, who's the favorite? I think it's the Brewers just because they have an easier path if everything kind of, you know, follows the the schedule it's been so far where, like, whoever wins the West will be the one seed, and then the number two team in the West will be in the wild card game. So let me ask you one last thing. I think you make a very interesting point there. What about Philadelphia? You've got a piece up on the Phillies right now. They're four and a half out of first in the East. It looks like there's a pretty good chance that they miss the postseason yet again. So where does that leave them right now as an organization if they do? Yeah, so Dave Dombrowski took over the baseball operations department midway through the offseason last year and didn't really have much time to sort of overhaul the infrastructure. He is starting that process. Um, you know, really, there was a, you know, a kind of a, you know, what our Matt Gelb, our Phillies writer, described to me as kind of a seismic shift uh, yesterday as they dismissed a variety of guys, uh, you know, AGMs who had been in charge of the player development system and, like, you know, Dombrowski described it pretty simply like they need to get better at developing their own players. They need to bring up players to the majors who have success. They've had a ton of guys, you know, with some hype in recent years come up and just not perform at the big league level. They just sent down Alex Baum, who's a you know, former number one pick, former top prospect, who was really good last year in the shortened season, but has been a bit of a mess this year. You know, they've had guys like, you know, Adam Hazley and Mickey Moniak, uh, you know, sort of stall. And so, yeah, I mean, they're, they're sort of trying to get themselves back on the right track. They've been rebuilding for a very long time, and uh, you know, it's it's. I think it's still going to take a little while. It's going to be a really interesting finish to the season. He is a senior writer at the Athletic. Previously covered baseball at the Los Angeles Times, the Kansas City Star, and the Star Ledger. Andy McCullough, my guest. Andy, really appreciate the time and the conversation. Thanks so much. Anytime, Jim. Have a good one. Here's some real talk for you. Two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time they're 35. More than 50 million men in the U.S. suffer from male pattern baldness. And there are only two FDA-approved medications that can prevent hair loss. Keeps offers both. 
Keeps is offering a simple, stress-free way to keep your hair. Convenient virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered straight to your door every three months. You do not have to leave your home. Plus, low-cost treatment starting at only 10 bucks per month and Keeps offers generic versions. Discreet packaging, proven results. Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competition. Prevention is key. Treatments can take four to six months to see results, so you want to move on this quickly. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash Rome. Receive your first month of treatment for free. That's keeps.com slash Rome and get your first month for free. keeps.com slash Rome. Now, I want to say that I'm not here to root against you. I'm not. I'm not here to hate, despite what you think. I'm not. I'll give you an example. I really hope that Mac Jones works out for you at the quarterback spot. I hope he's everything that you say he is. And I mean that. And I like him. I think he looks the part. He does. I like what I've seen. I think the Cam Newton misunderstanding the rules of the protocol was a big mistake by Cam. And I think that did open up the door for Jones. And I think that's going to increase his opportunity and possibility for actually starting there. I do. I like the guy. Now, having said all that, given Bill Belichick's draft history of late, I'm going to tell you also, nothing is guaranteed. Because while that player looks good right now, I'm looking at the Hood's body of work in terms of drafting. And to put it politely, the Hood and his guys have been below not good at selecting talent in the National Football League's annual draft for some time now. I mean, don't go back to 21 years ago when they got some tall, slow guy out of Michigan. I don't want to hear about that. I'm talking about what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me in recent years? What have you done overall on draft day? Because today we can add another horrible mistake to the mumblers' recent draft history. Just days after the world found out how much of a dog lover the old mumbler is, he officially moved his 2018 first-round pick, Sony Michelle, out of his dog house and shipped him to the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, Sony's going to the Rams. We're on to Cincinnati. Oh, well, Sony's on to the Rams. We're on to Cincinnati. Sony is on to Los Angeles. We're on to Cincinnati. Sony's on to the Rams. Yeah. We wish him the best of luck. He was a good patriot. Uh, oh, now he can learn the Ram way. Then we can get right down to it. He really didn't understand the Patriot away, or we wouldn't be giving him away, right? Anyway, he's on to the Rams. Yeah, that's right. The former first-round pick shipped to the Rams, and the Rams definitely have a need at that spot. And they send him over there for a fifth and a sixth in this year's draft. However, conditionally, this could be converted to a 2022 compensatory fourth-round pick. If the Rams get one, according to Ian Rappaport. So essentially, if all goes well, the Hood got a fourth-round pick for Sony Michelle, And that's only if everything goes to plan. So now, Pat's fan, yes, I understand you get a fourth-round pick for a running back who was buried on your depth chart. I understand that you had an embarrassment of riches at that spot. But you need to understand this. That's a fourth-round pick for a guy that your coach, the smartest guy ever, evaluated as a first-round pick. A first-round pick that you are effectively giving away. 
And yes, again, you've got a few nice backs on your roster, namely a very nice Damian Harris. I get that. I like Damian Harris. In fact, I like him a lot. I get that he and the others made Sony Michelle expendable. I get that. Now, you need to get this. You also have to acknowledge the entire story here. You can't look at that in a vacuum. There's more to it than that. And that is, you know who I like even more than Damian Harris. You know who I like a hell of a lot better than Damian Harris. You know who I like more than almost anybody? A very special Nick Chubb. A special player. You see, the bigger story here is about the dude who you passed on in the 2018 NFL Draft. The guy you passed on for his college teammate, Sony freaking Michelle. You know, the dude who was the next running back selected four picks later and is one of the best pure runners in all of football now, Nick Chubb. Go ahead, though, hood backers. Spin away. Focus on today. But you want to talk about a major bleep up. You want to talk about a major bleep up? That's one right there. Another draft bust. Yeah, I know we can always say, look at a team's draft and say, damn, they should have taken so-and-so. I get that. But here, Hood, I mean, be, be so clear about this. Patriot fan, own this. Hood wrote the right position on the card. He wrote the right school on the card. But he wrote the wrong name. Sony Michelle instead of Nick Chubb. The dude who preaches nonstop, all day, every day, no days off, do your job. Yeah, that same guy has done anything but that in terms of drafting for years now. Go ahead and look at the recent drafts. They're bad. And this decision is one of his most obvious and worst ones ever. I mean, no, I'm not surprised by that trade. Last season, you could see that Michelle had fallen out of favor in New England. But still, do not flip that narrative and pat the hobo hood on the back here. I mean, what's next? Mumbler, are you going to tell me that your team that has lacked explosive weapons for years now, the team that alienated TB44 in the last few years by not getting him more offensive firepower, chased that Sony Michelle first-round selection over Nick Chubb by taking the wrong receiver the next year in the first round? Uh, let's not get into that yet. Yeah, maybe we do get into that now. Maybe we remember that you took Nikhil Harry in the first round and Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, and D.K. Metcalf all went in the next round. <laughs> So I turned around and heard it, and I just thought about it. And you asked Darius Slay what it's like to deal with DK Metcalf. <laughs> so I turned around and heard it, and I just tried to brace myself. And he, boom. I said, boy, this is a heavy kid. Mmm, I'm hot. Mmm. I love Slay, man. He is so funny. I'll tell you who doesn't think this is funny. Robert Kraft does not think this is funny. That's why he was so vocal about drafting better, smarter, That's why he had to throw historic Jack at Hood's roster problems in free agency. Now, if you think that I'm sitting here and I'm not a Sony Michelle guy, that's not true. I actually like him. I do. Just not nearly as much as I love Nick Chubb. But for the Rams, I like the move. 
They lost Cam Akers for the season. They've got no NFL experience behind Daryl Henderson. And when I say no NFL experience behind Henderson, I mean no carries by every other back on the roster. So Michelle now gives them a good viable option to share the load, split carries, lighten the load for Henderson. I like that. It's a good pickup given what he potentially might bring to it and what they gave up. Henderson has always worked in tandem, and it looks like he will again in 2021. And how happy is Michelle now? Now he no longer has to deal with that cranky mumbler. Mumbler's got to be like, shut up, radio man. I'm going to put you behind a microphone for, what, 30 years now, and all you do is just talk junk. What the hell you know, man? Shut up, radio man. Fair enough, Hood. But the hell were you thinking when you took that guy instead of his teammate? So now he's going to trade in the Pats running scheme for the Rams scheme, a running back's dream. And he gets to play with Matthew Stafford, who's going to keep that defense honest, whatever that defense is, instead of looking at a jammed box with Cam Newton next to him. Sony ends up being the winner here. And let me tell you the other loser besides draft guru Hood. The other loser here is anybody who has already had their fantasy draft. That's right. Yeah, I know there's a few of you out there whose commissioner was too freaking lazy to coordinate a time closer to the actual season like any good fantasy commissioner would do. Because, you know, it was just too hard to make it work. So some of you have already drafted. Hey, Kamish, we all know that whole it was too hard to make it work thing is really code for you already had Labor Day weekend plans, you fat ass. But the loser is not the commish necessarily, but rather the guy who drafted Henderson a few rounds higher than he normally would as what they thought to be the steal of the draft. Am I right, Alvy? Am I right? No, you aren't as pissed off at the commish as Travis Etienne owners are right now, but you're not happy because make no mistake. Michelle is going to take away some of Henderson's touches. You know this. Anyway, back to you, Pats fan. All you can do now is hope for the best and focus on Mac Jones because I know the mumbler is. Because if he is anything like that quarterback who led him to six Super Bowl titles, even a shell of that guy, we will all stop forgetting about these first-round blunders from the hood. You know, like the Nikhil Harrys, Malcolm Browns, Dominique Easley's of the world. Oh, oh, you did draft Chandler Jones, right? That's right. That's right. I see. Yeah, what happened to that guy? Oh, you traded him. Yeah, and for what? What did you get? Here we go again, radio man. Here we go again. Mr. Wiseass himself. Yeah, sure, Jonathan Cooper didn't pan out. Hell, he didn't even play a single play for me. But Joe Tooney did. What do you have to say about that, radio man? Tooney's a beast. Sure, I didn't want to pay him. Sure, he's in Kansas City blocking for, uh, oh, what's his face, the Mahomes kid. Yeah, but still, hey, by, by the way, hey, by the way, why don't you uh, stick to the topic? Sp- speaking yeah. of kids, you got kids, right? Have you seen my kid, radio guy? Have you seen my son, Steve-O? Have you seen Steve? Have you seen his new do? Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. How you like that, Lettuce. 
Shut up, Alvin. I'm not done. Man, that kid's a rascal, yo. He's a rascal. Hey, hey, by the way, radio man, I heard you're a cat guy. I heard you're a cat guy. Yeah, well, I'm a dog guy. Dogs rule. You should meet Nike Belichick. You love that furball. I do. I love that furball more than anything. I wouldn't trade him. That's one guy I would never trade. Ever. Promise that. I don't know, man. I might keep doing this impression. I might get stuck. I might get stuck and I might sound like Rit. Rit and uh, Norm MacDonald. Rit, Norm MacDonald, and the hood all rolled into one. I don't want to be that guy. Bring it on. And I'm not going to be that guy. All right, so just Patriot fan, just own that. Stop spinning that into, man, this is why our guy's so smart. He just took an expendable back who means nothing to us and turned him into a fourth-round pick. No, he turned a first-round pick into a fourth-round pick. Maybe. Maybe. And in the meantime, Nick Chubb is a freaking beast, and he was right there. Had the card, had the position, had the school, took the wrong guy. And I made myself clear. When we come back, it's going to be a short segment. And I'm looking for an ATP. And then I've got Jason Terry. And then after that, I've got a Jim Rome podcast. Episode 186 with Christy Martin. She's awesome. I honestly cannot wait for you to hear her. She was so good. So look for that a little bit later on. And Darius Slay is not getting nearly enough respect and credit for his sound. Man, I love the guy. When you want to find great rates, organize your finances, or just make smarter money decisions, LendingTree is here for you. With the LendingTree app, you can see all your bank accounts at a glance so you can better understand your spending and saving and build a budget that works for you. Monitor your credit score, explore ways to improve your credit, and get automatic alerts to protect your identity. And LendingTree can help make sure that you're getting your best deal on loans, insurance, credit cards, and more through their wide network of banks and lenders. LendingTree gives you personalized tips and insights into saving money and reaching your financial dreams. So whether you want to pay off a debt, buy a home, build credit, or just make things a little easier, LendingTree has your back for all your short and long-term goals. There are no subscriptions, no fees, no hassle, just easy, honest, straightforward support to make the most of your money and achieve greater financial health. Download the free LendingTree app right now and get started. See why thousands of people turn to LendingTree every day for smarter, easier finances. Terms and conditions may apply. NMLS number 1136. Linebacker Coin Dang is my guest. Coin, great to have you on. How are you? I'm doing well, Jim. Thank you so much for having me on. My man, great to have you on. Thanks for doing it. Let me start right here. After a season where the team only got to play four games, I'm curious, what's it like to have a more normal camp this year? And then what's the mood been like among the players this time around? Oh, man, I mean, we're just super grateful. Uh, last year was obviously very different out here in the Bay Area. Uh, you know, all the limitations and only having a four-game schedule. So, you know, we have full access to facilities, full 12-game schedule. Everybody, Everybody's just juiced up, ready to go. All right, good. So now in December, you graduated, so you could have moved on to the next level, but you did decide to return for another season. I'm curious, what was the decision-making process like for you, and then ultimately what made you decide that you wanted to come back? Uh, you know, it's one of those things kind of weighing all the uh, the pros and cons. Obviously, you know, it's been my dream. I've been working my whole life to play in the NFL, be the first South Sudanese to ever play in the NFL. And to me, it was just the biggest thing was just unfinished business. You know, having that four-game season, uh, you know, not having the the, the ending that you kind of want to have. You know, for me, I want to leave a legacy in my time here at Cal and have something to always remember. So, uh, you know, we had a whole group of super seniors who felt the same way. So we're running it back. 
I think that's cool. I think that's strong to want to come back and run it back. Like, Coin, every program in the country was impacted by COVID last year, but you guys had to deal with situations like the defensive line being in quarantine until the morning of the UCLA game. You had the Washington State game canceled hours before it started. You know, I'm going to get you to look ahead in a minute, but what was it like to go through all of that, and then how did that impact the relationships in the locker room? Uh, you know, it's just a test of resilience. Uh, you know, you talk about the, the UCLA thing. Uh, we were originally supposed to play Washington that weekend. That game got canceled, and, uh, you know, less than 48 hours before we were supposed to play the game, uh, we got it confirmed. And, you know, didn't have the defensive line practicing with us for two weeks, so seven on seven every day. And then the morning of the game, you know, we're not allowed to see those guys until the pregame warm-up. So it, it was it was kind of a bizarre feeling. And I think for all of us, it was just that test of resilience that brought us all closer. And now that we have access to the building and we're in the locker room together, in the dining hall together, in the training room together, everybody's just excited to be around each other. And it's, it's just a family feel. We're talking to Coin Dang, linebacker at Cal. I love that somebody of your age is already thinking about legacy and leaving your mark. I think, as some people know, your journey to this point is incredible. You've made the point that when you talk about your story, it begins before you were even born. Your parents left South Sudan as refugees of the Civil War, eventually end up in San Diego where you were born. So what was your life like growing up? Uh, my life growing up was, you know, I was really blessed. Uh, you know, my parents really worked really hard to make sure that, you know, that I had food to eat and, you know, just a good situation growing up. Um, I had a lot of family, grew up in a single-parent home. We didn't have a lot of money, but I, I had a lot of love. I mean, I grew up with five siblings, and I don't even know how many first cousins and uncles and aunties, and that's kind of what our culture is all about, uh, family. So, you know, for me, I've always had a lot of family close to me and a lot of people looking out for me. And so, you know, for me, representing a whole nation, you know, creating a land, playing American football, uh, that's never really lost on me. It's actually awesome in that sense. You mentioned that you were in a single-parent household. Your mom played such an enormous role in your life. Like, what kind of an impact has your mom had on you specifically? Uh, you know, my mom is the reason why I am who I am. You know, I mean, she raised me with a purpose. Uh, you know, my whole time growing up as a young kid, she always explained to me that it was about more than us. You know, we're here for a reason, and we're supposed to have an impact. So, you know, for me, from when I was a little kid, I knew that, that somehow, some way. I was going to be able to positively affect the situation in South Sudan. And, you know, for me, being the age that I am now, being the situation that I am now, um, I'm always just thinking about different ways that, that I can make that happen. And, you know, right now, uh, playing football, playing the game that I love, and just being a positive force in the community is kind of a way that I can do that. Right. You know, you, know, you were young, really young when it happened. Back in 2011, South Sudan gained its independence. Do you remember... Well, what do you remember about that? And then what was that moment like for your extended family? You mentioned your mother, your aunt, your uncles, your older cousins. What was that moment like when South Sudan gained its independence in 2011? Yeah, I mean, I was 12, 13 years old, so I don't think I fully understood the gravity of that moment. But I think just being a kid, seeing the way that it moved, all the adults in my family and, and all my elders, just the, the, the emotions behind it and just the the elation, the joy, all of those things, I understood that, like, this was a day that was never, like, a day I'd ever experienced in my life. So I think the older I get, the more I appreciate all these things and just, uh, you, know, knowing I, you know, knowing I was being there, you know, I'm a part of the newest country, nation in the world, and, 
you know, somebody who hopefully my people can be proud of. Right. I appreciate you sharing that part of the story. Now, you and your family moved around, and at one point you were actually going to high school in Virginia. You were a multi-sport athlete. In fact, you were an all-state basketball player. How would you describe your skills as a basketball player? Hey, I was a bucket, man. You were a bucket, dude. Football player, motor. Uh, you know, just playing harder than everybody else. I, I was lefty, about six six, playing the three, running the floor, uh, slashing to the basket. You know, making jumpers when I needed to, and really just playing really, really hard. I was actually the Virginia Four A State Player of the Year, so I got I got to rub that in every once in a while. My man, dude, you just lit up. You were a bucket. You were a bucket with a football motor and a slasher and left-handed. So that that said, obviously you had tremendous upside. You were a great player. When did football become a focus then? I think for me, football was always kind of my, always my favorite thing growing up. Uh, I think in high school, I was just such a skinny kid and such kind of a tweener that, uh, you know, I graduated high school at like 190 pounds. So it, I, it was always trying to figure out where I was going to fit. But that was always my love. And when I got recruited to VMI, uh, Justin Hamilton, my position coach, he's the defensive coordinator at uh, Virginia Tech now. He, you know, he told me that I was going to come to, I was going to VMI. In about three years, I was going to be, you know, 240 pounds plus, and I was going to play in the NFL one day. And I laughed at him. But uh, I think that was probably one of the first times that somebody kind of confirmed what I believed in my head. And, and as soon as I got that vision, you know, I, I, I grabbed it and never looked back. See, the thing is, though, you left out one really important part of that story. You do get to VMI, and they do tell you that even though you were kind of a tweener and you were tall and you were long and a little bit lanky, that you would one day be 240. You'd play in the NFL. Also, they suggested that you could be a linebacker. When they brought that up, what did you think? Uh, I, I, I couldn't quite see it at the time, but... You know, like I said, I laughed, but at the same time, I, you know, I knew that football was my love, and this this is what I wanted to do. So I think it took me maybe another year or so to really, really uh, get those reps and start to believe in it. And like I said, when I got the vision, I never looked back. I just put my head down and started working. We're talking to Coin Dang for a few more moments. So you're at VM, and then you're getting a lot of interest, and you have other opportunities after you made that transition to defense, and then you end up at Cal, which is an amazing institution, like an incredible college. What made you feel like Cal was the right place for you? Yeah, for me, coming out of junior college, it was the opposite of high school. You know, I could have went anywhere I wanted in the country, and Cal was just a place that just checked every single box for me in terms of, uh, you know, the level of defense that they were playing, a program that was ascending in the Pac-12. Um obviously elite academics being in the bay area all of the things that come with that and just the, just the culture of the program under justin wilcock every everything was just as soon as i got around the players and the coaches i knew where i was supposed to be see the thing is though there, there's more to it than just that right like the fit might have been right and you might have found the right program and the right coaches and the right scheme justin wilcox though talks about the fact that when you arrived on campus man you dove into everything like not just football, football, school, the community, that you understood that you had a lot of opportunities and you should make the most of every single one of them. Where did that mindset and that approach come from? Because I can tell you, when I went to college, that was not my mindset. I think for me, it's just being humble. You know, understanding that when there's an opportunity in front of you, you nobody owes you anything. You know what I mean? So being in the Bay Area as a young black man, I understood that there was a lot of, a lot of, a lot of opportunity for me to educate myself politically, 
to be in the community, to be somebody who, uh, you know, kids can look up to academically, obviously being at the number one public school university in the world. And then also football wise, man, trying to chase my dream. So it's just, uh, you know, being humble to the grind, being humble to the game, and understanding that nobody owes you anything. So uh, just that urgency. See, I like that line, being humble to the grind. What does that mean exactly? It just means that nothing's guaranteed. You know what I mean? Like, if you, if you, if you trust the game and you work and you respect the game, then it's going to reward you. But if you don't do the things that you need to do, then everything's up to question and nobody owes you anything. All right, so finally, if you went back in time and I talked to you when you were playing wide receiver in high school, what would you have said about this notion of being a star at Cal as a linebacker and having a future in the NFL? Man, I would have probably laughed at you. But, you know, at the same time, I would have probably just told you God is good. So. He is a linebacker at Cal and named to the Lombardi and Lot Impact Trophy watch list, as I mentioned, coming off a big year and returning to school to finish some unfinished business. Coin dang my guest. Coin, great to have you on, man. Appreciate you. I appreciate that journey. And let's make sure that's not the last time we have that conversation. That was fun. No doubt. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. Hey, you want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back that you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing because of all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. He is Jason Terry. Jason, good to have you back. How are you? Thank you, Jim. How are you? All well. Good. I'm glad. I was going to say it's been a minute or two since you and I last spoke, so it's good to get caught up. Before we talk about the new gig, we got to go back, Jason, talk about the conversations you and I used to have back in the day when we were talking about the AAU team that you were coaching and leading for more than a decade. For those who do not know, how did you first get into that, and why was that so important to you? Well, I first started the Lady Jets organization back in 2007. I was I just got to town in Dallas, and my daughter wanted to play AAU basketball, so I formed her own team and coached them uh, to the national title game for AAU sixth grade. Ended up losing at the buzzer beater. I mean, I'm sorry, losing at the buzzer. And you know, from that day forward, I was like chasing the national championship for AAU, and I would do it, dedicate myself every off season to coaching her and these young ladies driving around in a 15-passenger van, 15-year-old girls all across the country. And, you know, I still had to stop. I mean, up until this summer, uh, my 16U team, we win the Adidas National Championship. So we finally got to hoist that trophy uh, while I was an assistant at the University of Arizona and then brings us here to present day. Now standing the newly appointed head coach of the Grand Rapids Coles. My man. So, uh, life, life's a dream, man, and it goes fast. Oh, that's incredible. I love that response. Life is a dream, and it does go fast. Really, one, one last thought about that. I mean, Jason, the thing is, given the career you had, an amazing NBA career, an amazing college career, when it was over, there were any number of things that you could have done, but grinding it out, traveling in minivans to one tournament after another, that is not an easy life. What was it about that that you liked, and why was that so important? Well, for me, my, my passion is people. And my purpose uh, is to inspire the world. And being able to do that through grassroots and AAU basketball, uh, I found it easy. And, you know, one thing about it, you know, the kids seeing what I did 
on the court for many years, hitting many shots, winning championships. Uh, but to be there physically and not just lending my name uh, to a program, I think it, it, it meant wonders uh, to those young women. And I can honestly say it's been a dream come true because this last past season, uh, one of my young ladies that played for me just got drafted into the WNBA, uh, one of my first girls from one of my first, first teams uh, in Dallas. So truly, truly proud of those young women and their accomplishments. And happy to say I was a part of their journey. That's awesome. Jason Terry joining us. So you were an assistant at Arizona last season, as you mentioned. And then earlier this summer, you went out to dinner with Denver Nuggets team president Tim Connolly, the GM Calvin Booth, and the manager player personnel Scott Howard. I'm curious, what was that dinner like, and what types of topics did you guys talk about? You know, since 2016, I've had numerous amount of uh, interviews uh, for head coaching opportunities, G League, college, um, high school and this, this was no ordinary interview. This was a conversation between three genuine people who enjoyed each other, whose passion was people, helping someone achieve their ultimate goal, and then just, just fans of basketball in general. And so in that conversation, uh, the, the talk came up about a potential opening uh, for the head coaching position at the G League level. And, man, Calvin Booth was a teammate of mine. So I was proud of his journey and where he's at today as the GM of the Nuggets. And, you know, one thing about it, when certain people call you, you got to answer. And it was an opportunity for me to grow and continue to impact the lives of others. Uh, and, you know, I just, I just couldn't pass up that opportunity. Jason Terry joining us. You know, you just answered my next question in part, but I've spoken to other guys who've coached in the G League. I talked to Jerry Stackhouse about this. I talked to my guy Brian Shaw about this. What are you looking to bring Grand Rapids and this team? What kind of culture and what types of things are you looking to bring and teach to them? Well, obviously the culture is going to be hardworking, um, a win-type mentality. But, again, this is about helping the next generation achieve their ultimate goal, and that's playing at the, the highest level. Um, one, I was able to do that for a long time in my career. Uh, but two, just helping them understand that it's not about just being a great basketball player or having a unique skill set. It's about being a good person, having being high character, having high values. And uh, if you can do that, then you can achieve anything. And I think these young men are going to enjoy their time with me as I will enjoy uh, the time with them as well because, again, as I grow and continue to – uh, my journey as a, a coach in this game, uh, I'm, I'm learning along the way. Jason Terry joining us. I hear exactly what you're saying. You have a purpose and you have a journey and you're learning and you're growing and you're evolving. As much as you like this grind and as locked in as you are on this particular opportunity, is the ultimate goal to be an NBA head coach? Oh, no, no doubt about it. I mean, sitting on that, the head coach of an NBA bench for an NBA franchise, is the ultimate goal for me. I wouldn't rule out being a head coach in college because I enjoy my time. Uh, the people you meet, the young kids, the young families that aspire to one day have their son or daughter, you know, play at the professional level. So I, I would never rule that out. Uh, but right now I will be chasing that dream. But first and foremost, let's get this G League championship and I'll continue my championship pedigree. That, that's, that's the goal at mine. Jason Terry is my guest for a few more moments. The thing is, I know that when you ask players to make sacrifices, you're not going to ask them to do anything you haven't already done yourself. As an example, if we were to go back to the 96-97 season in Arizona, you were starting while Miles Simon was out for the fall semester. When he came back, somebody had to leave the starting lineup to make room for him. You gave up your spot for Simon, and the legend of the sixth man was born. How were you able to make that sacrifice? 
sacrifice and put that team first because a lot of other guys would not be able to. Well, I have to give a lot of credit and, you know, rest in peace. Uh, unfortunately, due to COVID, we weren't able to celebrate the life and accomplishments of Lute Olsen, but we are going to do so here uh, in September uh, the 11th and 12th at, at the University of Arizona. And when I walked into Lute's office in, in 97, I'm sorry, in 96 in that, that winter and said, hey, Miles is coming back. I know I've done a good job, but for us to have success and for us to achieve our ultimate goal, someone has to sacrifice, let that sacrifice be me. Um, I think our team will be better for it. Uh, and, you know, he said, are you sure? And I was like, nah, coach. I know what it means for Miles. I know what it means for Mike Bibby, Michael Dickerson to be in that starting lineup. I don't mind coming off the bench. And he said, you know what, I'm, I'm glad you did that. But I'll tell you what, JT, you'll finish 90% of the games that we play. And lo and behold, I mean, I, I definitely did. And, you know, we were able to win the national championship that year. It was a hell of a run, man. And it's something that I'll never forget. Uh, for the rest of my life. Oh, man, it was a hell of a run. Those teams were amazing to watch. So, like, you said you're going to celebrate the life of Lute Olsen when you get the opportunity this year. Like, what kind of an impact did Lute have on you as a player and now as a coach? A t- tremendous impact on me, not only as a player, but as a man, as a husband, as a father. You know, there was many times where I'd go into his office and he and I would sit one-on-one and have just those life conversations. And so, for me, in my coaching experiences, I've carried that with me. You know, every kid that I've come encountered with uh, to this point, I've always left my door open as Luke did, and it, it was always conversations, not about basketball, but just about life, because there's so much more uh, to this life than you know, shooting a ball through a bucket, and um, you know, if you can make a lasting impact on young men or young women's lives, I think that is not only our job, but it's our duty as human beings. Jason Terry, joining me for another moment or so, I've got to ask you about another guy you played for. Lenny Wilkins, great player, great coach, tremendous oh. guy. I know you saw him recently. What did you learn from him as a coach? Are you kidding me? Lenny Wilkins, you don't understand, growing up in Seattle, Washington, a big-time Sonic fan, just die hard. To be able to see Lenny uh, and then be drafted by him in 99, I mean, that was just a, a dream come true. And then, you know, so many years later, I mean, there's so many conversations that he and I have had throughout the years about you know, life, basketball, coaching. I mean, the one lesson I learned from him is, you know, always be ready. Always be ready for your opportunity. And, you know, when preparation meets opportunity, that's when the magic happens. And, you know, for me, my rookie year, I didn't play much. Could I have? Yeah, I could have easily started. But I had to take my time and learn the ropes. And, and, and learning, I'm sorry, and Lenny taught me patience. You know, be patient, but always stay prepared. And I thank him for that. And by the end of the season, I was starting for the Atlanta Hawks, but I only was able to play for Lenny one year, uh, and then he was off to the Toronto Raptors. But I'll never forget him and that relationship. And I seen him the other day, man. He still got on his gold chain. He didn't have the velour sweatsuit, but he had the gold chain around his neck, and he's still looking good. Oh, man, I was going to say, he always looked good. He was so smooth. He was so smooth yeah. on the floor, off the floor. Just absolutely personified class, Lenny Wilkins. Yeah. I mean, Jeff, finally, like you, it's so clear that you're a basketball lifer in the best way imaginable. I mean, what does that mean to you, and what is it about this game that you love so much, even still? Yeah, well, basketball has given me so much. You know, it's given me a lifestyle. It's, it's allowed me to take care of my family and, you know, put my siblings through college. Like, that's something I never dreamed of. My oldest daughter just graduated college, got another daughter graduating next year. So it's been able to financially, you know, take care of a lot of people. Um, but just the emotion, uh, the, the, the raw energy, walking into that arena as a, as a 
gladiator and hearing the fans cheer your name, sometimes hearing them boo you. You know, I fed off of that a lot in the road arenas. But uh, And then the competition and the fellowship and camaraderie, uh, the networking, the many people that you come in contact with that are along your same line and your same journey. I mean, it is priceless. It's a life experience. And it's something that I wouldn't trade for anything. What a perfect response. An NBA champion, an NCAA champion, a 19-year NBA vet. He is the head coach of the Grand Rapids Gold in the G League and a good friend of the program, Jason Terry. Dude, you sound amazing. Jason, congrats on that opportunity. It is so good to have you back on the show, and I really appreciate the relationship always. No doubt. Talk to you soon, Romy. Norman, Oklahoma. What's going on, Marty? How are you? Good, good, Jim. Jim, I'd like to thank you for the time. I'd like to thank you for the vine. But more importantly, Jim, I'd like to thank you for the platform that's allowed us to bring Jungle Tourette's out of the darkness and into the light. The outpouring, Jim, of support, the cards, the letters, the flowers, it's been tremendous. I had no idea, no idea that so many, so many suffered from this. Excuse me, Jim. And Jim, you're absolutely right. There's no cure. There's no cure. So after multiple board meetings with the wife and family last week, the wife finally uttered these words. So I guess it's a lot like global warming. We just have to deal with it. So, Jim, my marriage is back on track. Wrestling is back on the calendar, and I'm no longer struggling with my jungle trits. I own it, Jim. It is what I am. So that brings me to this, Jim. I'm prepared to kick the door down to the jungle conference room and arm sweep the table and bring some straight fire back into the jungle. Because, Jim, when the lion roars, the chimps or the clones hit the trees. So, clones, there's a new sheriff in town. His name's Marty. M-A-R-T-Y. Why? Because, Brad, it's played. It's tired. So take that five-year-old Photoshop banana hammock pic you've been slinging up on the screen Every smack off down, bro. Listen, I'll give you respect. Not one, not two, not three, but six titles. But, Brad, if you roll all six calls back, we can't tell what year it was made. They all sound the same. So get dressed, man. Move out of your mom's basement. Twist the Venetian blinds open and see if there's anything, and I mean anything, you can give the world a value. And Vic and NoCal, bro, 11 years. It's been 11 years. Pull out the port swing. Get the grandkids and tell them about the good old days. Now, Jim, the Cablinasians definitely want the jungle's OGs. There's no doubt. But listening to his smack-off call this year was like sitting through a share concert. It was painful. So, see, Sonny, take... Ah! That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. So good news, bad news. The good news is, Marty, you brought to light something that a lot of people struggle with, but it's been taboo. Jungle Tourette's. You brought that to light. So that's good. And I thought you were going in the right direction when you were talking about how the outpouring of support has been absolutely incredible. Had a meeting, boardroom meeting with the wife and the fam. They all understand. We've all come together. Wrestling is back on the calendar. It's fine. It's good. I'm a spokesperson for this. There may not be officially a cure, but there's a lot of time and research and money going into finding a cure for jungle Tourette's. So whereas we don't have a cure today, we will at some point. That's good. But then, Marty, and because you're so philanthropic about the whole thing, 
right? So altruistic. Sharing your story and letting others know that they are not alone. But then it took a turn. Then it took a turn. Then you want to take a run at the GOAT. Then you want to take a run at a former champ. Then you want to take a run at another guy who could claim status or ownership of GOAT status. And then you started to cough. And then you kept coughing. And then you started to feel yourself. And then you got run. Good night.